Marketing success comes from identifying the right opportunities. And sponsoring the Up Next in Commerce podcast might just be the best opportunity you'll hear about today. With tens of thousands of listeners, expert creative, production, and strategic promotion teams at the helm, not to mention millions of impressions at the ready, this is a growth opportunity you should not ignore. Email me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with the Up Next in Commerce team. If you don't realize it, the cliff of irrelevance is going to be far steeper than say, for example, it was 10, 15 years ago. And I think it's digital that is going to push that. Hey there, and welcome to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO of mission.org. And today we're talking about what it's like living in a world that is changing at a pace that's hard to keep up with. What a student learns today may quickly be obsolete tomorrow, unless you're in Anika Sharma's class. Anika is a professor of business and technology at NYU Stern School of Business. And she is also a general manager and global client partner for Mindtree. By having her feet in both worlds, Anika sees how Gen Z is changing in real time and understands what brands are asking for on a day-to-day basis. She shared all the trends she's seeing, plus a few predictions into companies that are doing things well and others that are, well, not so much. Let's get into it. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning at business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Annika, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So I thought it would be a fun way to start the interview to actually hear what are you teaching right now at NYU? Like what's in the curriculum? What's the new cool stuff that you're teaching all the smart kids coming through your programs? So I'm teaching a few things. So I, you know, started my teaching at the Rutgers School of Business. I helped the uh, Masters of Mobile Marketing program at the Fairleigh Dickinson University, Lubin School of Business. So I've only taught at business schools. Mm-hmm. I've done a guest lecture at Fordham, the Gabelli School of Business. I've uh, the course that I teach at NYU Stern School of Business is one that I have set up from scratch. So it's the undergraduate course around social media and mobile marketing, uh, social media and digital marketing. I also teach digital strategy at the MBA level. And then, you know, I teach marketing and so on and so forth. But it's funny because I started all this by teaching advertising, right? And, and that is what I started teaching about seven, eight years ago. And the funny thing is that if a school comes to me today and says, please teach advertising, I wouldn't know what to teach. You know what I'm saying? Like, I yeah. wouldn't know <laughs> because advertising has morphed so much. And I think this world that we live in has morphed so much that even if you told me to design a course in advertising, I wouldn't know where to begin. So it's really funny because um, as I'm talking to you, I've already changed the curriculum of this course this year than it was, say, for example, even two semesters back. And I'm already thinking of partnering with someone to start a course on luxury retail. And so it's just it's just I can't tell you how exciting it is to be sitting at the cutting edge of what we are doing and bring that to the classroom every day, you know, so it's uh, it's really fascinating. Yeah. How do you even stay on top of all the new trends that are coming? I mean, how do you think about what's actually going to stick? I'm only imagining if you were designing a curriculum during COVID, like maybe a lot of that, the playbook yeah. can't even use that anymore. So how do you think about, you know, designing something that's actually going to be a bit evergreen? Yeah, no. So that's a great point. But before that, I should tell you, it's funny because I was just just uh, you know saying this uh, during lunch to a colleague of mine today, and said, as a mother of two teenagers, I think my teenagers know that I have no love left for them. So what happens is, all my energy and my love goes to students. And I was telling people, I said I cry every semester, like every semester I cry because you know I feel first of all the the change in four months, right? Like from taking them from day one to you know like fourteen. 14 classes down 
just the light bulbs going on top of their head and stuff yeah. like that. And today the students have taught, have become parents, you know, they've got had kids of their own. And mm-hmm. it's just, I'm telling you, it's so joyful. So it's funny because my kids, I think, need to get their love from somewhere else because there's no love left for them. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> like, poor kiddos. Are, you know, I introduce them as like, these are my kids. And my <laughs> husband sometimes, I them, no, they're not. Like, you know, I mean, just be real. So that's really the ethos of what I teach. I think one of the things that people have asked me is, why don't you teach full time? And I said, because that would take away from the ethos of why I teach, right? I want to teach because I want to bring the everyday into the classroom, right? So my promise is to have students be ready to hit the road when they join organizations. And one of the reasons for that is because much as the intent of organizations is to do the training and to get them first time right, by the time they do 90 days of training, the world has already changed, you know? So by the time, so it's, it's, I tell my students, I said, in the daytime, I am doing this. And in the night, you get to hear about it. Like it cannot be, this is like farm to fork, but in the education sector, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, how much fresher can the content be? So the way I keep it fresh to answer your question is, is to ensure that as I, the consumer, I'm changing that I can bring you content that is changing for the consumer. So I always tell my students, whether they are the undergraduate or the you know graduate level or the executive MBA level, is that I want you to bring your consumer hat into the classroom, right? If it's not working for you, it's not going to work when you're trying to apply it, right? Because the person who's trying to do the work and the person who is consuming the work is the same person, especially I think during COVID. So for example, one of my, you know, one of my things that I talk about is there's no longer a B2B and B2C world, right? We're all using Macs. We're all using smartphones. We're all getting some really amazing consumer experiences. So you can't say, oh, you know, but these are boring engineers and then it's okay if we give them like an okay experience versus say a B2C where it really needs to work no longer, right? Stephanie is the same person. Anika is the same person. So the way I keep it fresh, coming back to your question is to bring those aha moments, is to bring those insights, to bring those learnings. My social media class, for example, today has to react to Twitter, you know, being bought over by Elon Musk. Mm. And that was not the reality six years ago where I asked them to do a paper called the death of Twitter. You know, I really thought that Twitter was going to go away and be redundant, right? Uh, So the only way to do it is to keep on top of the trends, is to embrace it. And almost be a bystander, meaning let these trends come and go and look at them without reacting, but at least understand and appreciate the fact that the consumer is changing because the trends are changing and therefore you have a new consumer and you need to understand the needs of the new consumer. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like it's a big benefit by not only being a professor, but also working at Mindtree because I think about, you know, back when I used to think, do I want to go to business school? I always was like, well, half these people have never done the thing I'm trying to learn, build a company, whatever it might be. And so I feel like it's actually a very unique benefit to be able to have a teacher who is also working at a company where you get access to amazing brands every day to hear, yeah. you know, yeah. what they're struggling with. So before I go deeper into that whole, can you give a high level overview of, of what you do at Mindtree, like what your day-to-day looks like? Yeah. So actually it's funny because what I do at Mindtree, it, now that I'm thinking about it, it's almost bring the classroom to my clients, right? Ah, you're so far ahead in the classroom. Exactly. Yeah, yeah because uh, because I remember like I you know one of the brands for example that uh, that I work on is Yankee Candles, right? It's one of my favorite brands. Mm-hmm. I have been a Yankee Candle user long before, you know, like when in doubt I spend money on a candle, right? And Yankee Candle it is. And it's funny because I remember the client was like, you know, we don't know why Yankee Candle is not used by Gen Zs. You know, we're not making inroads. So guess what I did? I went to classroom and I said, by the way, what candles do you buy? And why do you not buy Yankee Candles? I remember the students got up and said, we don't know where to buy them, Mm. you know? And they said things like, we would buy them as a gift because we can't go wrong with it. But we would never buy it for ourselves because who would spend $40 on a candle, you know? And guess what I did? I went to my clients and I said, Let's sit down and I'm going to tell you what just happened, right? <laughs> and so it was, wow. it's funny because every, I think every client is trying to understand Gen Z's and I get an opportunity to interact with Gen Z's yeah. every day, right? Almost every week. And so it's um, fascinating for me to see how they are changing. How are they different from the millennials? How are they different from Gen Xers? How are they different from baby boomers? And I think so my job at Mindtree is to, as part of the retail consumer goods and manufacturing, you know, vertical, which is one of the four verticals that we do at Mindtree as a digital and data company, is to make sure that we help 
the world's largest brands and the most iconic brands get ready for the next step of digital disruption, right? So how do we keep step in step with the consumer who's pushing this? And the consumer has become very finicky and very fickle. I know it because I'm the consumer, right? Yeah. So how do you do that in a sustainable way, in a way that is reusable, which is not throwaway, right? And how do you do this while embracing what either may be the flavor of the day, like NFTs, or may stick around, say, for example, like Bitcoins and so on and so forth, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, everything is moving, yet things have to be stable, yet things have to work together and integrate together. And, uh, you know, how do you do that all with a long-term business perspective? Uh, I, th- I think is my job, right? And it can be very scary and very daunting. And many times I sleep like a baby because I'm so tired, but uh, it's exciting, right? At so, so, so many levels. Yeah. Uh, so that's my job at Mindtree. I tell people I don't, you know, deliver anyone's babies or save anyone's heart. But I definitely, hopefully, I'm doing my bit to make some of the most iconic brands of the world continue to become relevant, not just to people like me, but to my kids, you know, and they get the same, the chance and opportunity to see what makes these brands amazing and why do they continue to be one of those things that we should talk about, you know, at fireside chats. Yeah. So do you hear any trends right now among these larger brands of things that they're looking for help with? Or is it like, yeah, any themes going on that you're kind of spotting? So, yeah. And and it's interesting that you asked that because I did want to speak about it. Right. And so I should give you a little bit of history. So I'm one of those people who needs to go to a gym to work out because I need 20 other people screaming next to me in pain, right? Social pressure. Yep. In my basement. <laughs> yep. But there's no one looking to see that I'm behaving like a baby sometimes. And so as part of all that, you know, I ran a half marathon. I remember my first one about eight, eight years ago, ran another one, ran two, I think last year. Wow. Get it, girl. And I became a triathlete last year, right? So, you know, obviously completely stupid and foolish and not knowing how some things can be bigger than you. Someone said, all right, do a triathlon. I'm like, sure, you know, yeah. and uh, because I love swimming. Yeah. And so I thought, I know ro- running, I love swimming. What can go wrong? Well, what can go wrong is 26.2 miles on a bike and you hate biking, right? Yeah. So it, it was like, what am I doing on a bike? My butt hurts. I cannot do this. This bike is not going fast enough. I could be faster in a car. I'm like, what am I doing, right? So so talk about aha moments. And then I went, as if that wasn't bad enough, I went to climb Mount Whitney, you know, and I didn't do the summit, Great. which I'm Why hoping not? to do this year. Just keep adding right, to it. Right, right. You know? And guess what? It was only the first mountain I climbed. You know, when you want to climb a mountain, go for the highest one. Yeah. Right? Why start with little things around the neighborhood? So anyway, the reason I bring that up is because it was the first time I discovered shops like REI, right? It was the first time that I discovered, you know, running shoes, right? I just thought, who can go wrong with Nike? You know, like just go and And then I started seeing runners looking at me like with disdain and said, you're not a real runner. You know, you're using Nike. And I'm like, it's Nike. It's a $45 billion brand. How can you go wrong? It's iconic. Like, you know, just do it and whatever, whatever. And they're like, no, you know, real runners wear this, this, this. And I remember I saw like, I saw brands like Hoka and I saw brands like, you know, Mm -hmm. OnCloud. I didn't even know what those symbols were. Like I kept looking at people and saying, is this like a language I should know? Like, is this new runner's language? And they're like, he says, no, this is OnCloud. I said, but it shows QC. How does QC pass (laughs) it to OnCloud? You know, and people are looking at me, rolling their eyes. And then I saw Brooks. And I remember I was with a friend of mine. Uh, climbing Whitney and and I told her, I said, what running shoes do you use? She said, Brooks. And I went to a specialty running shoes. I paid top dollar. I've never paid this much for any shoes, not even like really amazing shoes, right? With heels and stuff like that. But I paid top dollar and my hiking shoes became Brooks. And those shoes have gone with me to Mount Washington. I'm going to go again to Mount Washington in a couple of weeks. And my running shoes are Brooks. And guess what? Nike, what Nike, right? And just like that, Nike has lost I mean, they call themselves the world's number one running shoe company. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, like, I was looking up the numbers. Brooks is now a billion dollar brand, right? And it's growing double digit. And it's got like 21% market share of the of the specialist running category. So there are these little movements that are happening. You know, they're almost like the purest movements that are happening. I wonder whether the big brands are looking at this and saying, oh, this is just one of those little things that will die away, you know, after some time. We don't need to take this seriously. But I think people who are really doing something, especially during the pandemic, people who are very, very serious. And I believe women have pushed this market share for, especially as far as Brooks is concerned, uh, are getting their act together. And because I think they're small enough, 
I think they're nimble enough and I think they're agile enough. So they're able to put some best practices as far as brands are concerned, as far as marketing is concerned, which I think perhaps the big brands are not able to do because most of them need a committee to approve something. You know, it's like, oh, we need to change this. All right, let's go ask 80 people. You know, oh, we need to put this into action. All right, let's go and ask 20 people and then get, you know, approvals, which may have a space of its own. But the point is, I think it slows people down. And today when digital is really pushing things, I don't know where the big brands can afford that slowing down when the consumer has no patience for it, you know? Mm -hmm. So this is one brand. um, And I have another really, really great example in skincare. But uh, this is what I'm seeing. And I wanted to share this because I've seen this with Hoka. I've seen this with Brooks. You know, I became part of a running community. I'm looking at, and, and they think I've become part of the running community because I want to run. I am part of the running community because I want to see like, what are the trends? You know, I'm like, who is using who's using something else and who's using, I'm like, you know, people want to show pictures of them running. I'm like, show me the pictures of your shoes. I want to see the pictures of your shoes. <laughs> yes. A new kind of market research, Annika style. Yes. A new kind of stalking, I think yeah. is what it is. But think about it, right? Think about it. I think an aha moment and a trend is what you see long before it becomes table stakes, right? And I think this is happening in every category. I am just using running as an example because just like that, just like that, I spent $300 and Nike lost $300 of my business. The sad part is that I don't think Nike realized that they lost me, perhaps because they never knew they had me, right? They never had first data information on me, even though I bought from Nike. So I don't think nobody ever wrote to me and said, hey, you came to us for shoes like two years ago. How, meaning, I'm sure you would have needed new shoes. So what happened to your shoes? Have you like moved into flip-flops? No one's done that, right? So no one's really mining that data to see, has Anika stopped running? Has Anika taken golfing? Has, is Anika still alive? Where is that data? And if you didn't know that I was a customer of yours, then I think, you know, the problems are even bigger than, uh, than they can be. And I do believe that big companies perhaps think, they can get away with it because their their uh, base is very large. But I think this is like erosion, right? If it really happens and it happens very quickly, you will lose, lose people faster than you realize you had people. Yeah. I mean, so it sounds like it's kind of twofold. One, is your house even in order? Like if you're a large yes. brand and then two, yeah. can you spot the challenger brands and then maybe even learn from them? It sounds like I know you, you gave me a All funny right. example around how back in the day, People used to call this like conspiracy theories around like a trend yes. catching on. And you brought, brought yes. up the idea around like organics. If you want to tell that, I thought it was very funny about your friend. who's a doctor. Yeah, who... absolutely. <laughs> I, you know, I changed my pediatrician because I remember he got up and he was, he became a friend of mine. And I remember he said something like, you know, like, I don't really know if organics works. And I'm like, first of all, let's agree that we are not going to be, you know, like interacting again. You know, I feel very strongly about this, but even at a basic level, I do not need market research. Like I don't need like a Nielsen to tell me something without additives is better than something with additives. Like, uh, 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 you know, this doesn't even require IQ, right? This is like, okay, I'm not putting anything extra in this to make this brighter, whiter, whatever. And here it is just the way it is. It doesn't look perfect, but I think it's going to taste better. Of course, I'm going to take this, right? And I think, yes, the example that I gave you of organics was, I remember when Organic Valley first came out, this 19 years ago, you know, you couldn't find anything. Organic Valley was one of those, you know, like hoity-toity cooperative movements. I remember we used to spend money on it. It was like three times the cost. And, you know, people would look at us and think that we are stupid. Why won't we go to the Costco's of the world and pick up what everyone else is picking up? So we joined, you know, we started doing organic long before organic was a thing, Right. And 11 years later, stores have their own organic brands, right? Costco has its own organic brand. Everything has its own organic brand. Things that should not be organic are organic today. You know, it's like you can sell, like, I don't know what you can sell. I don't know, the stable because it's organic. And and I don't think anybody's stopping to think, what does that really mean, you know, in, in this category? That's what I love about America. When we really embrace something, we really embrace it. It's like the keto diet, you know, or coconut, right? Coconut today is in my coffee. And I don't know whether I want coconut in my coffee, though I love coffee, right? But we really embrace it, like wholeheartedly, right? We will not question anything about it. But I think the movement from there to there, uh, as far as organics is concerned, may have been, say, for example, 15 years on the East Coast, right? On the West Coast, it would have been far, uh, you know, uh, quicker. But I don't think companies have the luxury of brands and the luxury to wait 15 years, right? So, you know, when people talk about trend spotting, are they really talking about trend spotting or are they talking about things like, oh, trend spotting is like the metaverse is going to be here? Sure. But what are some of the things that are happening in your categories? Do you really have the pulse of the people, right? 
I remember when Lauren Taylor was shutting down, uh, I'm on the stern panel for media. And I remember one of the media outlets called me up and said, what do you think about Lauren Taylor shutting down? I said, I don't think anything about Lauren Taylor shutting down. You know, I don't think Lauren Taylor realized who their customer was, right? And and who when was the last time that someone walked in to the store to buy something? Similarly, I remember I had some students who said, we're so sad, you know, the Toys R Us is shutting down. And I said, I am sad too, because in my business school books, I used to read about it as a case study. However, let's pause. Let me ask you, when was the last time you walked into Toys R Us to buy something? And suddenly they were like, um, hmm. I said, well, then let me be the bearer of this news. You are the reason why Toys R Us is shut down today. So A, please feel bad because you stopped going. And worse, Toys R Us didn't realize that you stopped going. Right. So these are just some of the trends, I should say, you know, they were more subtle. Right. And and people didn't realize that it was happening today. I think the rug is going to be pulled from under your feet. And so if you don't realize it, the the cliff of irrelevance is going to be far steeper than, say, for example, it was 10, 15 years ago. And I think it's digital that is going to push that. So I don't know if you've seen this with other brands, other clients, other guests. Yes. But I definitely look at this. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're gonna go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't talk about publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. I mean, I talked to a good mix between D2C founders and then also executives from very large companies like Walmart, Stanley Black & Decker. And yeah. it's, I mean, yes, what you're saying is very accurate of they're trying to figure out ways to kind of like think more like a startup, whether it's through acquisition or creating their own internal hubs to be able to, you know, think like that, think like a challenger brand. Yeah. It's interesting though, because the D2C companies are also trying to learn from them in a way. So there's a lot that can go both ways, but yeah. I mean, are there any challenger brands that you see popping up right now who are doing things even more different than you've seen that you're like watching really closely? Yes. I actually, I'm going to use one of them in my conference tomorrow, you know, in my meeting tomorrow. And it's, it's really perfect. Exclusive access. right here. <laughs> it's really funny. So I don't know if you've heard of this foundation brand called Il Maquillage, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think okay. So. so Il Maquillage, talk about stalking. Il Maquillage started stalking me on Instagram and everywhere else where I would go. I don't even remember if I saw them on Facebook, but as a person who teaches social media, I wanted to see at six years ago, talk about conspiracy theory, six years ago, I predicted that Facebook was listening to all of us. And now they have, you know, documentaries about it. I'm like, aha, okay. And, you know, six years ago, I predicted that that the holy grail of, of e-commerce is going to be when social media is able to figure out how to do an entire checkout process on the ecosystem itself, right? And voila, you know, Instagram offered it and here we are, right? So it is just a matter of time. I kept telling people, I said, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And the reason I bring this up is because I remember Il Maquillage kept telling me, you know, you can choose the right foundation and we will match your foundation and it'll be going to be true to skin. And, you know, a lot of beauty companies were doing quizzes. And I said, I refuse to believe they can do this. Let me see. So it was really fascinating when I go to the Walmarts and the Targets of the world and I see, you know, women who perhaps, and I'm stereotyping them, perhaps are mothers running their houses like enterprises, you know, like really efficiently brought down to their knees with a foundation, you know? Oh, (laughs) yeah. I mean, it's a tough job trying to pick the right one, honestly. It is, right? (laughs) 
So I'm looking at these women and I, I'm telling you, I, I just, I love what happens in these aisles, you know. I'm looking at this, I remember the last time I was looking at this woman and she's matching this and she's matching this and she's looking here. It's like when you try on a new pair of shoes yeah. and you're hoping you can ask some stranger, how is it really looking, right? Like you want someone to, you know, validate for you and say, am I looking like an idiot or am I like really rocking it, right? And, you know, you're trying to match this thing and the light is terrible and nobody's allowing you, nobody's giving you like, you know, any kind of time. So it's like the worst thing. And then you buy thinking it's okay. And then you're already having doubts and you come home and the light is different. You're like, oh, it's terrible. So, you know, I started by saying, let me do this as a social experiment. So I went to Il Maquillage. I tried out, they found it, did the entire quiz. They said, oh, this is the foundation. I'm like, fine, whatever. Not only did they sell me a $50 foundation, I'm like, $50 for a foundation? It better make me look gorgeous. Yeah. Two is, I'm actually wearing Il Maquillage. Two is, two oh, is, I they, they upsold me, Stephanie. By the time I finished ordering, my total order was about close to $150. I'm like, really? Did I just spend $150 on cosmetics? Wow, go them. And then I was like, you know, I'm also a student of cosmetics. I love to, I play in that sector. I talk about the sector. Fine, it's investment into this. Here it is. This is my foundation. And it matched perfectly? And every time I wear it, I don't know whether I look like a million bucks, you but do. I feel like a million bucks. You do. You know, and... Yeah. And guess what they did? And listen, I get emails from companies every day. Stephanie, I was so impressed. They sent me an email, which may have not won any like advertising awards or, you know, they probably would not walk down the red carpet at cons. But wow, they sent me an email which says, your stock is running low. Their stock is running low. I'm sure your stock is running low. You don't want to be caught without, you know, at a really critical event without this, uh, you know, this foundation. Wow. So if you just want to order with one click, here it is. I was floored. Here was data being used. All they had to do was think, well, if she's even using it like, you know, twice a week or something, it might get over by this time. They had data on the fact that I'd used it. I felt like someone they knew. And, and all I had to do was one click. And they would order me another bottle. Now, how different is this from every other company trying to do a subscription service? No different. But it was used to personalize something to me. I felt like I was being heard. I felt like someone had my back. And suddenly I felt like it's not like I was going to a red carpet event. But again, to me, it was like, wow, imagine being caught without this foundation. Yeah. Forget the fact that half the times I don't have time to wear it. But... Someone took that data to know me better, right? Now, the reason I bring this up is because every company wants to be the startup Il Maquillages. It's a one and a half billion dollar company, right? And they're launching brands and they continue to launch brands and they're going to do really well. And maybe a big company might buy them, right? And then absorb them and then templatize them to the other 60 brands that they have. And there goes the death of that brand, right? So every company is trying to figure out why did this email get clicked on and my email didn't. Well, we need to take five steps back and look at the best practices, right? This was not just another email that came to my inbox. This is an email that spoke to me specifically and realized that I had bought from them before. So I think new brands, disruptive brands have come in and are nimble enough and agile enough in their mindset where they're able to do these things. And I do believe that maybe larger companies need to set up pods, you know, like tech acceleration pods that are away from the everyday that keep the lights on and say, hey, how can we take a little piece of something instead of looking at what is a brand new net new thing that we can do? How do we take what we're doing today, take a little piece of it and how do we make it like more wava boom? you know, like how do we make it like really cool? Because we are the cool brands. How can we not do cool stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. That's what I dream about at night. I don't know what you dream about, but you well, know. <laughs> I don't know about all that, but that's pretty epic dreams if I'm imagining What's going on inside your head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, again, that's what I think. And I do believe that companies can benefit from thinking like this, right? So it's not so much about I want to work like a startup and I want to be agile or nimble. I think we all have to take a step back and say, Anika is not Stephanie and Stephanie is not Anika. And they both have, they might be in the same, you know, psychographic, demographic, geographic locations, whatever. But they're two different people. And I have to talk to them with the hyper-personalization of one. You know, so that they feel like, because if a brand knows the kind of day that I'm going through and is able to become a friend, they have my advocacy, they have my loyalty, they have my repeat business, they have everything. How hard can that be, right? Doesn't it sound like, yeah. I don't know, marketing basics? I mean, that's what I was about to say. A lot of it seems like it's getting back to the basics where for so long it got very overcomplicated. And I think that's what we're seeing yeah. with a lot of these larger organizations is so many 
processes and ways to go about, you know, who can do what, who can talk to what, who can even get into the system. And I think pulling it back down to like, just think like a customer. That's like a theme that I've heard over and over again from like all the guests who've come on. Yeah. Just think like a customer. And I mean, we were talking to Colgate. They would send all their new employees on the marketing team out into every CVS, like wherever Colgate was, they would just be like, go there, yeah. try and find our brand, see if you like it, look at what other people are doing there, like literally just get in the field and then come back and think like a customer. And so, I mean, that's what the smartest brands are doing right now. Like, how do you get back to the basics? And why are all these startups winning? Yeah. It's because of that, they're just thinking like, what would I like and what process do I want to you know, work within? Yeah. On Netflix, just three days ago, something I was watching, the rise and fall of Abercrombie and Fitch. I don't know whether you watched that, but I... Oh, was it good? Uh-uh. It can do better on storytelling. <laughs> I think they started okay. right. So I think the storytelling could have been better, but the fact that... Uh, a brand was so tightly held that then it started almost not just being disruptive, but being discriminative, maybe was the theme of the entire thing. But how it became iconic and how people would work days and nights because it was their brand. And it was just cool, right? It was cool. It was a community. It was a culture. I think it was everything that a brand is supposed to be, right, in, in a brand book. So I think to your point of back to basics, I think it's a really nice school. I, th- I wish more companies would take a step back not just to understand why a brand successful, but I wish there were more studies being shown on what are the brands that fail and why did they fail? I don't think anyone has sat back and said, what can Toys R Us teach us? You know, what can Lord and Taylor teach us? What can the rising Hoka teach us for the running shoes, right? Instead of saying, oh, it is so small, it doesn't matter to us, right? I think, I think to get up and say, what did we learn from, I was, a month before Stephanie in London when Woolworth closed down. I, I was there for work and, and you know, I have to tell you, I remember seeing a newspaper which says, oh, 140-year-old Woolworth is going to close down. I think I went and bought something from it just because it was going to close down, right? Mm-hmm. And and it, was, it closed down and it's gone. I don't think the new generation knows what Woolworth is, nor does it care. However, as they say, right, if you don't learn from history, you're bound to repeat it. I think there should be lessons taught, not just on how... Did something become successful? But why did something fail? And what is the one lesson that we can learn from it that we should not repeat? And I and I don't know whether enough of us, you know, uh, subject matter experts or people who have the opportunity to touch some of these iconic brands on a daily basis. I don't think if we have done that. I have not done that. I yeah. just got this idea while I was talking to you. I like it. Implement it. This should be a new part of your curriculum. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I think that or turnaround stories. I think there's so many companies that have yes. had quiet turnaround stories, not the big ones, not yes. like, you know, the Netflixes, the people that like their stories overtold. Everyone yes. already knows they disrupted themselves. Yes. But I'm talking about like so many other companies have had certain people come in and just start slightly pivoting the company to where what it is today is like very different than where they started, but like the stories are not told yet. So that is so beautiful as a thought. I love the turnaround story because it's a story about resilience, right? And I think that has to be there at the heart of a brand that has to continue to reinvent itself, right? And Louis Vuitton, I think, is such a great example to me of, of, a, of a conglomerate that does it, right? If you look at Louis Vuitton, for example, today, I don't, people would be shocked to know it's one of the most digitally savvy conglomerates, you know, companies in the world. Who would have thought it, right? I mean, who would have thought that they would be considered thus? But they are, right? Procter & Gamble was on the list of some of the most, like, disruptive digital companies in the world, Three years, four years back, right? And I remember I was surprised and I said, if an FMC, you know, if, if a CPG company can do that, anybody can do that, right? Yeah. So if you look at, if a Louis Vuitton can do that with the kind of brands that they have, they're also, they're a company that by definition should be moving slower because they have so many brands in their portfolio, right? But they are moving fast and they're being agile and they're pushing it out there and they're pushing the edges while being true to what their ethos is in terms of luxury brands. They're trying to bring some of the best practices to the Tiffany's of the world, or perhaps to Ralph Lauren, who they're trying to get into their fold. And I think, you know, those are turnaround stories, right? Because if a brand like Ralph Lauren that is so iconic becomes irrelevant, and I don't think my kids care about it as a brand, right? It would be so sad because this was something that's been created from scratch as an image, as a lifestyle, right? So, So to your point... These, I think it's in our vested interest to make sure that we're not always starting from scratch with the brand, 
that sometimes we are turning them around to make them more relevant for another generation, you know? So I think that's yeah such an amazing point. I think uh, Levi's would be a really good one to study. I just think about yes. how I feel like they were cool back with my parents or even earlier and then weren't cool. Yes. And then now they're cool again. And they have been for maybe like five to seven years. So yes. Like, yes. What did they do? What did they do to bring back the cool factor that was non-existent for a while? At least when I look back in my childhood, I do not remember being cool, but I also was not surrounded by people who could afford that price point. So maybe that's why I didn't see yeah. it. But I just felt like it wasn't cool until more recently, like the past like five to seven years. Very true. Very true. I think the only reason my 14 year old daughter knows about Levi's is because we walked into a store together and she wears my jeans. You know, she's got her own pair of Levi's today, but we walked in together. And I see it as a brand where we are two different generations, but we can walk in together and buy the same brand yeah. because it's relevant to both of us, right? Both in terms of design, fit, and so on and so forth. She, of course, is at that age where it's very important what she wears, you know, because everyone is seeing it. Yeah. The other day I saw her in my, uh, you know, in my closets and I was like, what are you doing? She came two, three times and I said, what are you doing? Oh, my friends want to know what... Uh, you know, what cosmetics uh, you use. And I'm like, well, did you first tell them I don't have the time for it? But yes, you can go and see. So I know that they're talking about it, right? So yeah. they're also discovering things. Now's the time. And much of the discovery, unlike when we, I talk about the zero moment of truth, right? We discovered things when we went to a store. You know, it's a little bit like Marshalls. You never know what you'll find, yeah. but hopefully you'll find something good and you'll come back with 10 things you didn't need, but you will feel better about it, Right. Whereas that that Marshall's moment that I call, right, the zero moment of truth is happening for them on TikTok. Mm -hmm. So by the time they walk into a Levi's store or by the time they walk into, you know, whatever store that they wanted to discover the product that they want, they already know everything about it. Yeah. And they already have discovered it. And they've already used AI to see how it looks on their face and how it looks on their, you know, on their feet and so on and so forth. All they're doing is walking into the store to touch it, feel it and buy it. And which is why I tell people, I said, the consumer is so different today, Stephanie. When a consumer is walking into a store today, they want to spend money with you, which means they're not coming to see if they would like to spend money with you. They have come with the purpose of taking their wallet out and giving you money, which means that if they leave you today without spending money, it is like a double loss. You had them when they mm -hmm. walked into the door because they've already done their homework. These are smart consumers. They've done everything. All they've come in is to get it because they don't even want to wait for like 24 hours or 48 hours to get the product. You know, they want it right here, right now, which is why shop online, pick up and store is the largest growing segment for e-commerce, right? So if you did not get them and you did not get their money, something is something very, very, very wrong. Yeah, very wrong. Yeah, It brings back memories of like my dad and I going shopping and him being like, Stephanie, the line is, we are just looking. We are just looking. Like, we're not buying anything. And like today, it's so opposite. Like, if you're here, there's a reason. And if not, you messed up. Like, if we did not follow through, something bad went down here. It's so funny, right? Window shopping, even mm -hmm. when I was young, used to be such a thing, right? Yeah. You looked at 100 windows and then perhaps you thought of buying something and maybe yeah. then you'll buy something, right? Maybe go back, pick it up. Once you thought about it a lot, now no, it's just straight to buying. Yeah. Maybe a little buyer's remorse afterwards, but I'll figure it yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think the, you said that so well. So the window shopping phase, I think, has become the online social media, TikTok, digital phase. And therefore, really what you're doing when you're walking into a store is to buy, which is very, very, very different. It's the first time I think in the history of buying, right? And the history of consumer behavior that this is happening. And I think people need to be aware of it. Now, the problem is that there is no metric that will capture the fact that you lost money with me, right? So meaning the opportunity loss. All you know is I walked into a store and I walked out mm -hmm. without buying something. And the only metric you will have is X amount of people walked into the store, Y amount of people walked out, and so many transactions happen. And then you might do an average cost of transaction or whatever. But you will never know that, you know, Stephanie walked in to buy something or Anika had, you know, wanted to buy something unless it was a pre-order, right? So there is no column called opportunity loss. So I really feel that I think the other thing that I tell myself, and I don't know the answer for this because I don't know what metric can capture it or how can you capture the data. But I think somewhere... Maybe the brands need to realize that they're actually bleeding a lot faster and a lot more than they think they are. Mm -hmm. You know, meaning when you lose someone, you're really losing them and you're really losing that money. You're really losing that average order cost. 
you're not just losing someone who's just walking and walking out casually. You've actually lost a customer who was ready to spend maybe a hundred dollars with you. Wow. Yeah. So I don't think brands are thinking like that today, you know, so it's just, I don't know. Again, it's just observations. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so either. Because it'll be scary, right? It'll be scary. Yeah. If you think the like numbers that, wouldn't look good. it would be scary. Yeah. yeah. Chief digital officer comes in all of a sudden. Two months later, fired because they bring in new metrics that don't look very good. What's the incentives there? I, know, I don't know. I know. Exactly. <laughs> yep. In the last part of this interview, I wanted to switch over to luxury retail because I know it's a you know something you've been looking into a lot. You brought up Louis Vuitton. I want to kind of hear what do you see in that landscape right now? like, And why are you so excited about it? Actually, you know, I was telling someone the other day, I am so excited about it because um, I come from the community of brands, right? So for 20 plus years... I had an opportunity to be at the Greys and the Ogilvy's and the BBDOs and handle large brands and see how the Coca-Colas of the, of the world are handled and how, you know, like I, I, I tell people, I said, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know whether I'm really looking forward to becoming a grandmother because people would be like, oh, tell us stories. And, you know, most of the times you hear people say, once upon a time, there was a witch that went here. And I would be saying, once upon a time, there was a brand that was relevant to consumers. And now it is not there anymore. End of story. (laughs) Let me tell you about (laughs) Coca-Cola. I'm not going to be, you know, a a grandmother to be remembered for sure. But again, like, it's funny because those are the only stories I know, like at parties, you know, when people ask me something, I'm like, you know, this brand, whatever, and suddenly people are like walking away. So this is my DNA, right? This is this is what gets me up at night. This is what makes me sleep. I like, so it's really funny because I remember my husband and I were watching a Coen Brothers movie. I don't know whether it was Django Unchained or one of those, it's one of those Coen Brothers movies. And there is like a complete bloodbath that is happening, complete bloodbath, right? And people are getting shot and, you know, killed and all of that. And you know, both of us are sitting on the edge of our chairs, right, watching this. And I, so after the the shot is still going on and I, and something happens and I'm telling my husband, I said, did you see that Coca-Cola bus? I said, did you see that Coca-Cola bus? I said, did you see how subtle it was? And I swear, he, I, this was in our home entertainment. This, so he stopped and paused it and said, is that what you saw in this scene was the Coca-Cola? <laughs> and I remember telling him, and I, and I was even more shocked than him because I'm like, are you trying to tell me that it was so subtle that you missed it? See how amazing they are. Oh my gosh. That's, you're my kind of person to watch movies with. That's exactly how I am too. Did you see that product placement? Beautiful. I know. I'm like, look how amazing that placement was. You didn't even notice it. It was like so subtle. So, but, but if after this you want to crave a Coca-Cola, I know why it was, right? So my point is, I think, I don't know, maybe I've just made this way. But the reason why I love this is because I come from the world of brands, right? And I've seen how... You need to treat a brand as a person, as a partner, as as somebody who, you know, spends your lifetime with you. And some of my most like iconic brands, I love Tory Burch, I love Dolce & Gabbana, I love Prada. I just, I love these brands. It's just, I think, you know, they, and I was telling someone, I said, when you wear something really well-made, you know, you will never go back to fast fashion. You will never go back to, you cringe because there was a designer involved in this, you know, and there was, so there's something to be said about it. And hopefully they can keep that status, right? Do you think they will though? Because that's my only question is always around luxury brands. Like, will they keep that status? Because you see all these new brands coming up that have, you know, very high quality, medium price point, like obviously more expensive than fast fashion, but like a little expensive, but not too expensive. And then I think about the Louis Vuittons and stuff where I'm like, I've personally never bought that only because in my head, I think it's just because it has the LV on it. And, you know, there's probably many other brands who use the same manufacturer and they can get the same thing for you know, 20% of the cost. So like, I want to hear your perspective because you've been able to predict things in a different way. Yeah, I don't know if I've been able to, yeah, I I, I, I think now that I look back, maybe I've been, been able predicting. to predict things. But the point is, you know, and, and that's such a good point you said, you know, Stephanie, because I almost bought a Louis Vuitton bag the other day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I can't buy it because I can't see myself holding it. It's not me. It's not me because as a person, I can't hold something that has so much branding on it mm-hmm. and I'm not buying it because of branding on it. So it's, it's really funny because I, I was like, should I buy it? Should I not buy it? Maybe I shouldn't buy it. But again, I may not be the Louis Vuitton customer, right? But I'm definitely, for example, a Dolce & Gabbana customer. I love the color on it. I love the flair on it. I love how it's out there, you know? And I myself am trying to figure out me as a customer, right? Will I buy something that is, you know, Dolce & Gabbana? Will I buy something that is Prada? Will I buy something Dior? Is Chanel too, like, black and white for me? My daughter loves Burberry. I 
can't touch it, you know, with a barge pole right now. You know, like I just, it's, I'm like, why? And, you yeah. know, she's like, oh, I love it. And I'm like, yeah. how do you even know this? You're a 14 year old. You're not supposed to know what Burberry is, but she does. So my point is, I think as far as luxury is concerned, it's really that relevance is so subtle, right? So I think, and again, this is just my prediction as a consumer uh, that I see as a trend. Coach, right? There was a time when coach was the gold standard. Everybody wanted coach. Now, then the problem became that everybody had coach and yep. then nobody wanted coach, yep. right? Yep. And I think coach has become like, I don't want to be seen with coach brand, right? So much. And I do believe coach is in trouble, right? And I do, and, and I see the Kate Spades of the world and Michael Kors of the world get in there, right? So if you look at it, everyone wants to wear Michael Kors. And suddenly people who really wanted to wear Michael Kors will not wear Michael Kors, right? So you cannot, you have to choose how iconic do you want to be and how how commoditized you want to be, right? So what is too much of sales? What is too much and what is too less, right? How much can you do to be an exclusive brand and and have that status where you want someone to own you, to wear you? How much can you control the ideal consumer? Because you might have an ideal consumer that's there in your brand book, but trust me, the person who's actually buying it does not look like that, right? I mean, if you look at people who actually pick up the brands are people perhaps who want those brands to be aspirational, you know, and I give the idea of Tesla, right? Tesla, we are, for example, Tesla owners. I'm a Prius. I ride a Prius because of a tree hugger. When I buy a Tesla, it'll be because I really, really love the environment. My husband drives a Tesla, not because he's a tree hugger by any standard. You know, he loves trees, but that doesn't mean he's going to go out there and stand for it. He loves it because it's an amazing driving experience, right? He loves it because it's the next edge of, next cutting edge of driving, correct? Similar, now, it was very, very important, I think, to for Tesla to understand the difference between the two because if they had gone after the green movement and the tree movement, mm -hmm. they would have had people like me who would have stuck to their cars for 200,000 miles. They wouldn't have had new people, right? So I think to understand why are people buying you, what are they buying you, who are the kind of people who you would like riding with you, you know? Do you want people to think... I am cutting edge. I am cool. I drive this car. I know what a cool experience looks like. You know, I am savvy. I'm geeky cool, right? And if that is your Tesla person, then that's very different than Anika the tree hugger, even though Anika the tree hugger may also want the Tesla, right? Similarly, I think brands have to realize how much is too much of sales. You may want a lot of money, but you have to figure out whether you're doing a value play or a volume play. The other reason why I think uh, luxury brands fascinate me is because when the pandemic opened up, you know, the markets in China, and I remember China was the first one because, you know, just as they were coming out of the first phase of the pandemic and we all watched China, I remember, Stephanie, I heard, what was it called? Revenge, revenge buying. I'm like, what the hell is revenge buying? I'm like, what is, I mean, I know indulgent buying. I know buying in general. I know spending money for no reason buying. What the hell is revenge buying? Revenge buying is because I have not been able to buy all these months, you know, I am going to go and buy like there was no tomorrow. So I remember Louis Vuitton and some of these other stores, their same day sales were off the chart because there were lines when they opened up because people were like, well, I've not spent for six months and I need to spend now, right? I was like, who does revenge shopping, right? I mean, I'm sorry, yeah, not revenge, revenge, yeah, revenge shopping. I'm like, who does revenge shopping? I mean, like revenge shopper is every marketer's dream come true. They're like, listen, don't wait for one day. Revenge shop every day with us, right? Yeah, really. So my point is, I mean, you know, if you can not just do revenge shopping, but you would rather walk into a Prada or a Louis Vuitton to do revenge shopping because you didn't have opportunities to show the iconic brands that you wear because they were meant to be worn outside. And you've not had that kind of exposure and you want to go out and spend that money because you have that money to spend. You know, the, the the luxury brands, so some of the largest growths, right, uh, in terms of percentages during the pandemic. And it speaks to the fact that people still wanted to shop, people still wanted to show their brands, people still wanted to go on holidays, right? People still had smaller parties and smaller gatherings when they could. They didn't really stop their lifestyle, so to speak. So I think that's very fascinating for me to try and deep dive and see what makes a luxury brand relevant, how does luxury embrace digital so that you're using digital not to speak to everyone, but perhaps to speak 
hyper personally to the consumer that you want to go after, right? Uh, is it important for the younger consumers to get into your brand? Like if you look at the Vogue's today, the the ages of the models in those ads, I think like are 12 or 13. I can't believe how young they're getting. So obviously they want them to embrace their brands in middle school and elementary school. It's, 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 um, it's really fascinating to see you know, how young can you be to embrace a brand, right? So I think it's a it's needs to be treated with a reverence that you can't treat just any other CPG brand or retail brand. So that's what fascinates me. I'm fascinated by how quickly and agile and nimble Louis Vuitton can be. I'm fascinated with how Tiffany wants to continue to remain relevant. I mean, I love all of that. I feel like we need to have a whole round to just talk about luxury. I mean, my one only piece that I really picked up on was the idea of like exclusivity and thinking like, product drops limited quantity because, you know, everyone during COVID was shopping and, you know, maybe they were getting the coach bags and everyone comes out and they all have the same bag. That's when it's not cool anymore. And so it's like, it has to be cool enough for every once in a while you spot the person that got the same thing, but not every single person has the same thing as you. So I hadn't really heard about that perspective, but yeah, like I said, we need a whole round two on luxury because yeah, it's super fascinating. And a round three on revenge shopping. I want yeah. to meet these revenge yeah. shoppers. Me too. I do. And I want to actually ask them how revengeful, at what number does it go really revengeful, right? What is a, what, because remember, remember we spoke about this a little earlier. This shopper is coming in to spend. The shopper is not coming into window shop, right? So I want to know like, what really is revengeful? Is it like mildly revengeful at $5,000? Is it like really wonderfully revengeful at $10,000? And does revengeful mean that you're spending your own credit card or is someone else's credit card? I have like a yeah. hundred questions. Are you getting divorced? Like, are you really angry? What's <laughs> happening? <laughs> wow, I love that. Well, Annika, I know we're at time. This is such a fun chat as I knew it would be. So where can people learn more about you and uh, yeah, the work and the teaching that you're up to? Yeah, so I think LinkedIn is a great place to uh, catch up with me. And I'm always happy to connect. As you can tell, I can speak on ad nauseum on, uh, you know, on brands. They make my heart so happy. I believe that I would have done my life's purpose if I can help a few brands continue to remain relevant. I love speaking about digital and tech. And it's one of the reasons I'm here. I love the work that you're doing at Mission and, uh, you know, bringing people together in community. I hope someday you have a roundtable of Mission, maybe just to talk, you know, and get people to meet. I think that'll yep. be so cool. Like mission meets and greets. Yep. And so, you know, LinkedIn is great. And I think uh, if somebody messages me, then I'm happy to connect, talk, so on and so forth. You know, I'm not hard to find. And you won't find me revenge shopping. You might find me like window shopping with revenge shoppers. <laughs> if you do go revenge shopping, let me know. I want to like try it out. I really have to get up there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, you know, I imagine like giving you a card and saying, well, I'm trying the revenge shopping thing. So you'll be stay. nice to me. <laughs> yeah, I'll see how much buyer's remorse I have after this. Let's, let's go. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Thank you, Annika. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.